Just a reminder to subscribe to Zonan Canada on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Please also consider leaving a rating or review if you can. That would really help a lot. You can also now follow the show on Twitter, at Zonan Canada. If you're going to Anime Revolution in Vancouver this year, I'm going to be hosting two panels, The Work of Satoshi Kone Five Years Later and Adventures in Anime on Canadian TV. Both will be on Friday, August 14, 2015. Please swing by if you're interested. Also, this show's been getting a lot of attention over the past few weeks, so thanks a lot to everyone for tuning in and spreading the word. That's what's going to keep this thing going. So, anyway, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Zon in Canada, this is Jesse. Today on the show, we are talking about why anime is more popular in Canada than in the US. And I think the most qualified kind of person to make that kind of assessment is someone who's actually from the US. And today's guest more than fits that bill, it's Mike Toole. Hey guys, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure why you think I am specifically the person most qualified, but it's an interesting subject to me. So I'm happy to talk about it. You brought it up on Twitter, and and I think it's yeah. I think it's safe to say that you know we both agree with that assessment. So yeah. maybe we'll explore yeah. a little bit about why that's the case. And if you're not familiar with Mike Toole, he used to write for the website Anime Jump. He's contributed numerous commentaries and special features for the anime distribution company Discotech, and he currently writes the Mike Toole Show for Anime News Network. I try to keep busy. So, Mike, you were at Otakon a couple weeks ago. How how was that? Like that was a that was a heck of a show. Um, they always uh, they always manage to uh, to put on a really good one there. Uh, this time, I had a bunch of fan panels to do. Uh, I actually ran the first ever Discotech industry panel. Um, the guy uh, the guy who founded Discotech and still runs the company, uh, a gent named Selby. He's not a very uh, public speaking kind of guy. If you if you ever see Discotech at a convention, it'll be him and uh, I believe it's his wife in the dealer's room. They just love to sell. But he's been wanting to have an industry panel for a while, so he asked me and uh, Brady Hartel, who's uh, who's a product designer and uh, and and extra and also an extras producer for Discotech. He's uh, one of the guys that made that great Castle of Cagliostro uh, Blu-ray that came out a few weeks ago to do an industry panel for uh, for Oticon. So that went well. Uh, I also moderated a panel with the producer and uh, two of the key creatives from Garo, the animation, uh, which uh, which just aired in Japan a little while ago. Uh, the, one of their general producers was kind of tired of the whole, okay, yeah, we talk about the show for 10 minutes, then we open it up to fan Q&A, and it kind of meanders all over the place. So they supplied me with some production materials. We looked at prototype sketches, image boards, uh, the process of creating the look of the characters for the, uh, for the final character sheets, the sete. Then we looked at an animatic of an action scene um, when the, the two main characters, Leon and Alfonso, have a big fight midway through the series. And then looked at the final animation. And uh, Mr. Kubo and uh, Mr. Hayashi, the producer and the director, talked us through that. So that was a really cool experience. I haven't gotten around to watching that show yet, but people people seem to really uh, really get excited about it. It's underrated. It, uh, you know, it's based on an old, uh, not an old, but it's been around for a while, a live action project uh, just called Garo. And, you know, this new one, Garo the Animation. Yeah, that was an old tokusatsu show, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it's, 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 you know, you think of tokusatsu and you think of, oh, well, you know, Power Rangers, Ultraman, that kind of stuff. Garo is tokusatsu for grownups. There's lots of sex and violence in it. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a TV series and a TV special project since 2005. And it didn't they also announce a new season? Was that either was that at Otakon or yeah. AX? 
that was at Oticon, and that was one of those wonderful things that sometimes happens at these conventions, where their whole plan all along was to announce Garo Series 2 uh, at Oticon, and they did that. But then the producer uh, at MAPA, you know, the, the general manager, the guy that founded the company after he left Madhouse, Mr. Maudiyama, you know, kind of kept talking on about what they were going to do. So he was talking about the main character and the setting and, and who, who was going to appear in the series and all this other stuff that he wasn't supposed to talk about yet, which is why I'm being vague. But if, if you were at Oticon, you know. Uh, That's a kind of wonderful, crazy thing that can happen at Oticon. Last year, I made the mistake of thinking that AX was the place to be. And as a result, I went to Anime Expo the one year when Anime Expo was a horrible disaster. Although it is kind of a an over kind of an overbloated mess now in general. But man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, Oticon was actually down in attendance to the point that it's now uh, third place for uh, for anime conventions, although it, Oticon, Anime Central, and Anime North uh, up in Toronto, th- those are all kind of in the same ballpark at this point. I, I don't think it's meaningful to try and break it out. A- AX is pulled away from the pack. Isn't Anime North technically, you know, if you don't count AX, which you very well, you know, you could in many ways discount AX just because it's become this giant spectacle kind of megacon thing. I, I mean, doesn't this make Anime North now the second biggest con in North America? It's right up there. I mean, if we're going by pure attendance, you know, Anime North, uh, Oticon, and Anime Central are all around 25,000 people. Yeah, yeah. If you're using that metric, absolutely. I, I would say that uh, after being a guest at, uh, at Anime North uh, this past year for the second time, that con, I, it really deserves more uh, attention from the industry, I think. There's a lot of people there, and there, there wasn't a big industry presence this year, I felt. I don't think there was any industry at the con this year at all. I mean, la- last episode I had on Martin Sue from from YTV, and he attends Anime North in an unofficial capacity. But, you know, the broadcasters don't really send anybody to Anime North. The distributors, I think it's been a few years since Funimation has sent anyone. There was no industry representation this year. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a really kind of bizarre oversight. And, it, you, know, it, you know, in the face of Otakon losing 7,000 people this year, I think people are kind of, you know, they're not really acknowledging how this has sort of uh, pushed Anime North up. And I think that's, it, it's rather telling that uh, it's it, it ranks so highly in the attendance numbers right at this point now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the stumbling blocks to getting industry attention is that uh, very often Anime North uh, happens on Memorial Day weekend, which is a major holiday in the U.S. It's, uh, it's one of the weekends late in, in May. Uh, this particular Memorial Day weekend, there were two other major conventions, like two other cons that both draw more than 10,000 people. I still look at that and I think, yeah, but, you know, Funimation, Crunchyroll, they should send someone. You know, if you have a show that large, and I think there's, uh, you know, even if there's other shows happening in the States, there's always value in sending people. And uh, I was, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a whole lot of that. I was also kind of bummed out. I, I, I always get a little irritated when I go to these big shows. And Anime Central has this problem, too, where everyone is there ostensibly to celebrate Japanese animation. And uh, yet you have a show where no one who actually makes the uh, Japanese animation is in attendance. In Vancouver for years, just because there's so much voice talent here in Vancouver, there was a really negative trend where cons would just in- invite a whole bunch of Vancouver voice actors as their right. guests and not really bother bringing anybody in from Japan, which is kind of a puzzling move because well, one one convention now, Anime Revolution, is starting to bring in Japanese guests, and they're 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 very well received. I would say better received than in yeah. some other cities I've seen in the states. I think a big reason for that is because so. Uh, 
I mean, Vancouver has percentage-wise the highest East Asian population outside of Asia, and I think that right. kind of fuels uh, I- interest towards more the Japanese side of things rather than the rather than the American dubbing side. But but yeah, I mean, there was this, just this habit for the Vancouver voice talent to be used as a crutch, which I think is a disservice to the actual demand for the you know the actual talent coming in from Japan, and also devalues those Vancouver guests as well because they're just you know they're, they're they they just sort of become all this fodder and padding. Yeah, I mean, if you have an opportunity to see them four times a year, it's, uh, you know, or or if they're coming back year after year, like Aunt Sally at Christmas, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we have, at least with Anime North and, and a couple of the other cons, we have, you know, proportion-wise, you could argue that the the cons here seem to to gather a, a lot more attention overall. So could, could we sort of extrapolate from that to ask the question why anime is more popular in Canada percentage-wise than it is in the States? Yeah, I mean, we well, we could pose that question. I'm I'm more intrigued by the fact that 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 is the case, and and it's so seldom discussed because I don't have numbers. Uh, I've I've always worked on the fringes of the anime business here in North America, but I've I've long talked to people at Viz, people at Funimation, or and they've they've been very firm about the whole. Oh yeah, on a, on a sheer demographic basis, on a on a percentage basis, anime has been pop, more popular in Canada than in the states for a very long time. I don't know. I mean, for, from from an outsider's perspective, since uh, I, I only occasionally visit Canada, never spend a lot of time there. Uh, to me, it's uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, like YTV and Teletoon, right? Didn't, mm-hmm. Weren't they embracing anime a lot sooner uh, on an on a national broadcast level and Cartoon Network? Did? Oh, for sure, yeah. And I mean, for a while, YTV was grabbing basically anything that had a, a Vancouver dub because, of course, it fulfills the Canadian content requirements. That's gone down a lot, and I think a big reason for that is because nothing's being dubbed in Canada anymore, which it's kind of disappointing because that's very surprising to me, actually. What fueled it for so long was that the the dollar was so low in Canada compared to the states. Uh, yeah, obviously that that changed for a while, but our our economy is kind of tanking again now. So we're, I was going to say we're heading back in that direction. Yeah, and, and every Canadian I know kind of rolls their eyes, but I have to say, when I say this, but I have to point out that oh yeah, we went there for the World Cup. It was kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it took advantage of the discount value. It was uh, it made a great vacation even more fun. Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, there's 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 no resurgence. I I mean I think it's you know you'd think that 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 companies like Anaplex or even Ponycan would be sending more projects up here. I know that Toei unveiled their new World Trigger dub, which apparently was dubbed in Calgary, which I think is the first sort of non beat 'em on Beyblade type show that's been dubbed in Canada in a number of years now. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly hope they're not aiming to to get that one on television, but well, it's, it's not a very strong show, unfortunately. No. It's too bad. The manga is a gr- is great fun to read, but the uh, I, I couldn't make it through the first episode of the TV show. Yeah, but it's interesting that that Toei is going to Canada for dubs because they've got history there. When they were trying to run their own label back in uh, the early two thousands, they dubbed Slam Dunk and uh, Airmaster and a couple of other titles. I believe they dubbed those in Toronto. They were dubbed in Toronto, and that Toronto dub of Slam Dunk is currently the only version you can get on home video because the Cinedime version was dub only. That's right. Yeah. That that, that kind of disappointed me that that was dub only simply because uh, I just saw that and I thought, well, that that means they're not going to release anymore, right? Because the you know only that first season ever got dubbed, as far as I know. Yeah. I mean, there are dub productions that are kind of not seeing the light of day. You ha- at many cons, you do your your panel. Uh, dubs that time forgot but then we have that ocean redub of dragon ball kai which has been forgotten only not only by time but by space as well because it's never shown up anywhere have you have you heard about that uh well i mean i hadn't heard about a specific (laughs) redub of dragon ball kai but i 
I know that one of the things about uh, you know Canadian and also this this was a this is a product of, uh, of 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 contracts for anime in Britain was that for a long time after they uh, after Funimation moved Dragon Ball dubbing in house in Texas, Ocean continued to dub the series for other markets. Is 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 this kind of that same situation? It's the same situation. Apparently, this Ocean dub was licensed by AB Group in Europe, who basically handles all for uh, all production of Dragon Ball in in Europe. And as with the old series, when they were when they were doing a separate version with Ocean, they have apparently acquired su- some kind of English language rights for Dragon Ball Kai and yeah. had the whole thing dubbed in Vancouver. They they apparently did the whole thing. This was under wraps for a while. It was kind of a public secret. Lee, Lee Talker, who gets who plays Frieza in this version, was super yeah. excited about the fact that he plays Frieza and and broke his NDA a couple of times and talked about it. And to this day, he's still insisting that it's going to air on television somewhere. But the show is premiered in the UK, and it was the Funimation version. It's premiered in Australia. It was the Funimation version. Honestly, yeah. even if the show hits the airwaves in Canada. I, I expect it to also be the Funimation version, so I really don't understand why this thing exists. It's that's fascinating. I was going to say, well, well, I mean, the whole uh, ascendancy of anime as 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 a big pop phenomenon in in Canada that kind of started with stuff like Dragon Ball and uh, and Sailor Moon, right? I would argue that it was bigger with Sailor Moon, yeah, because the the old thirteen episode dub of Dragon Ball, the one that was produced through through Deke, that aired yeah. nationally up here, much like Sailor Moon did. It wasn't like an earth-shattering success or anything like that, but it was fairly yeah. popular. Yeah. It ran on Saturday mornings for a while. It was eventually pushed back to to like late night on Fridays. And But they didn't... What was interesting about Dragon Ball Z was that they didn't actually bring it out to the forefront. Uh, they didn't bring it out till it started to catch on on Toonami in the States. So okay. the, the popularity of Dragon Ball almost was almost more like osmosis from the States rather than something that was really culturally driven here in Canada, whereas Sailor Moon uh, yeah. was so, sort of our own homegrown hit, which yeah. you know sort of brings out that argument that the popularity of anime specifically emerged in a different way culturally here than it did in the U.S. Uh, yeah. Whereas, with, I mean, with a lot of things, our, our broadcasters, their business model is based around acquisitions, unlike in the States where it's just a big game of who can you know, produce the most content and get it sold to the most countries. Um, right. You can generally almost forecast what's actually going to be a hit because they'll license shows several months after they air in the States. They already know it's going to be successful. We usually see that success replicated here. But with anime, yeah. uh, it doesn't always transfer that same way in in Canada. Uh, I mean, case in point, look in 2003, Inuyasha, right after it debuted, it quickly became, well, for in 2003, the number three, and then in 2004, number one Google search query in uh, in Canada, which is really interesting because there was no other anime on that list, and yeah. it wasn't even the top anime yeah. search in the United States, but it just right. dominated right. in Canada because it just kind of hit in the right place, and it kind of took everybody off guard as this huge hit. YTV didn't even really know how to handle it, which yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. was interesting. It was Yeah, that was popular in the States, but not like that. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. But in terms of Sailor Moon, uh, I mean, we have this, there's sort of a weird situation now because we have the show streaming, uh, or Viz Media is streaming the show currently, but as with all, most titles that Viz Media puts out, it's exclusive to Hulu. So this same yep. kind of kind of border weirdness has now resulted in, in, in us losing access to Sailor Moon and not really yeah. able to access it in any, in, in, in any, uh, in any legal capacity apart from buying those terrible Blu-rays. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a product of our terrible future world where, you know, Canada kind of kept the torch burning for Sailor Moon long enough for it to catch on in the States. 
and and now you can enjoy the fruits of that labor. Yeah, that's that that sucks, and that's one of those. Uh, I've I've talked to people at Viz about it, and apparently uh, the big problem there is just that Hulu and the you know the Canadian uh, TV networks need to get on the same page, and it's not happening. But that that also sort of raises a uh, a question, uh, because traditionally the the Canadian and U.S territories have always been attached when it comes to to rights of every kind but now we're entering this brave new world where canada is no longer attached to the united states as a territory and we're seeing that violently being ripped apart uh when it comes to these streaming issues i mean i don't know i think it's better in a lot of ways that canada is being acknowledged as a different territory but you know we're there's all these legacy problems where the rights are still inequivocally inequivocally connected when when companies license the shows uh yeah uh home video rights are still attached yeah they're still really typically u.s and canada rather than uh than, than separate territories i mean i guess you can say in a way that canadians are kind of overly entitled because we're so used to getting everything that uh that the united states gets i was gonna say every once in a while you get something that we never even got like uh, you guys got that first season of precure right we did yeah that aired on ytv it was that was kind of an interesting situation because when they aired pretty cure I mean, they aired it in the Sailor Moon slot. They aired it weeknights at, or weekdays at 3.30 p.m. But right. I guess culturally, 15 years later, the Sailor Moon slot doesn't really have the same kind of impact it used to. So that kind of didn't didn't work out, which was unfortunate. That struck me as very odd because that was one of those Toei had been looking for years to try and get some interest in the show in the U.S. And when they couldn't, they I mean, they dubbed that themselves and sold it to YTV. And uh I, th- I think it's kind of a missed opportunity because that's one of those deals where, no, I, th- I think kids might have gotten interested in that show, but, like, the toys weren't there. The toys, the video games, all the tie-in <laughs> products, you need all that stuff, and none of that was there. It was just the show. Well, they had it with Sailor Moon. Irwin Toys was, uh, yeah, was exactly. cranking that stuff out. No, I, I, I mean, did was that stuff on shelves in the States, or was that only up here in Canada? That was actually only up in Canada for a number of years. Like all of the outer Senshi dolls, all of the additional stuff that was made uh, by Irwin for the Canadian for, for the North American market. That took a long time to get back down to the states. Yeah, well, that's interesting because when the Sailor Moon dub switched over to sort of S and Super S, I always got the impression that those episodes were being done for Toonami because the series they they had kind of closed closed down focus on the series because yeah. the, the last back half of R was done. Like strictly for Canada, that was the yeah specifically the whole, for Canadian TV. Yeah. yeah, that was that was the whole save, save our sailors uh, kind of cause. I think save our sailors was a great way to keep fans organized and interested. I, I'm I'm skeptical of how directly influential they were to keeping the show on the air. I, I, it was always my impression that Irwin Toys, once they realized they could keep selling those toys and there was a market for them, you know, it was it wasn't a specific directed fan input thing. It was a hey, the toys are selling, let's get more of the show dubbed. And that, that's what led to the second half of Sailor Moonar being dubbed. But yeah, that, definitely once that thing hit on Toonami, I mean, I, I remember having conversations with people at Pioneer at the time who were just like, yeah, yeah, the, you know, the, the guys at Cartoon Network, were, they knew there were more episodes and they were clamoring for them. And it's, it's kind of strange, too, because everyone is like, oh, well, you know, of course they didn't show Sailor Stars because that had some weird gender transformation characters. <laughs> stuff, stuff, that was, stuff that was cool but wouldn't have gone over on American TV. Uh, no, no, the, the reason Stars was never included was, that, was because for whatever reason, Toei didn't sell it. Yeah, they to- Toei deliberately held that show back. Uh, yeah. You know, much like they hold a lot of things back when they, they think that the Western audience is going to react really poorly to it. It's always been very mysterious to me why why they would do that, considering how how successful the rest of the show was. 
the thing about Canada, I guess you could argue that, you know, when you compare us to other countries, we're not necessarily underserved. I mean, it's not like back in the 2000s when when Bandai Entertainment ended all their distribu or was between distributors. Yeah. They were transferring from Genion to I to I guess their own distribution was what they were doing in the states at the time, but in Canada they were without a, a distributor for like two years, and this was back when Amazon.ca didn't didn't import any kind of titles. Right, they were just completely high and dry on that stuff. Uh, whereas now Amazon.ca imports titles that aren't properly distributed in Canada, which is why we are able to get discotech stuff at all because discotech doesn't have uh, distribution up here. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure I can move the needle on that since yeah. I'm just I'm just kind of associate, but I, I am going to have a conversation with uh with Selby about just like you know. Can we get that stuff to stores in Canada? Because I know you can get it by Amazon, but, uh, you know, HMV. Yeah, HMV's, their anime selection has uh, has increased dramatically over the last couple of years. Their selection of movies and CDs is slowly dwindling, but their selection of anime has grown, which is just reflective uh, of the home video market in general, I guess. Yeah, that's an industry-wide thing. Uh, it's, it's becoming a popular story among fans who love uh, industry gossip. But, uh, yeah, at the... As, there, as home video gradually contracts and becomes a boutique product, anime is the one category that's kind of hung in there and actually sh- it actually showed some growth last year in sales. That's, that's part of why like uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, this big popular show, is being released directly by Warner Brothers. You know, the producers in Japan wanted an awful lot of money for it, and Warner eventually were just like, well, let's, let's try and make our own product. And, and that's, that's, that's because of stuff like home video being a robust category for anime. And also the big universal deal that happened with uh, with Funimation as well. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want they want uh, they want some of that money, man. Yeah, content. I love it. Keeps the business interesting. Yeah, and I have to say, and uh, just going back to Otakon, I know I'm you know one of those ingrates who isn't happy that they licensed rescued Speed Racer, but I was really hoping they'd finally announce that Escaflone Blu-ray. Yeah, there are, it, there are a lot of materials issues with uh, with some of those Sunrise titles. It's yeah. it's a slow. It's an infuriatingly slow process for everyone. Well, in the, in the case of Escaflone, I mean, they're going to have to redub it as well, which is, you know, a relief on one hand because that old dub was not very good. It was definitely one of the weaker efforts to come out of Ocean because they were, you know, rushing it for TV and everything, despite the fact that it had a well, really why, good cast. Why are they going to have to redub it? The, the dub was un, was released uncut in the States. Uh, no, well, not completely uncut. They had, if you remember, the home video version of Escaflone in Japan had additional scenes in the first six or seven episodes that for some reason didn't exist on the masters that uh that bandai entertainment got uh that they used to produce the dub so there's a good i think over 10 minutes of content that would have to be redubbed somehow how they're going to do that i don't know most of those actors are still working in in vancouver well that's yeah that's the thing i mean i'd love it if they just sent sent the whole thing up to to vancouver to get it redubbed the more likely scenario seems to be that they just redub it in-house I, or I guess they could just find the actors to redub those scenes. I mean, all the principal actors in Escaflone, they are still active in Vancouver. That's something I would like. That's sort of my pie-in-the-sky, one of my pie-in-the-sky wishes when it comes to anime re-releases. They just redub Escaflone in Vancouver. Seems unlikely, yeah. but uh, but yeah, that'd be real nice. Well, it's interesting that you touch on Escaflone, Jesse, because uh, wasn't that another show that, you know, it, it kind of got flushed really hard in the States in terms of the TV airing, but it's... That hung around. That hung around on Canadian TV, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They aired the whole thing twice, and on the second airing, they actually aired the the real first episode of that too, which was, which was pretty nice. They actually tacked the the first episode on the end of the run, so that when you watch it the second time, you got to see the real beginning. And and it was interesting as well because I, I think I've probably mentioned this on the show before as well. But 
but after the point where they were editing it for Fox Kids, they started editing it specifically for YTV, and they basically didn't really cut anything apart from painting over blood. Like, Delano's <laughs> whole backstory was completely intact, which uh, which yeah. is pretty nice. And, th- and that's another thing, how you can tell that Escafloni was being rushed on television, because they cast Andrew Francis as as Delando. If they had known about the big twist at the end of that show, probably would have had Kathy Westlock or someone like her do it instead. That's very interesting to me, though, that uh, that there were separate edits for uh, for the Fox Kids version and the YTV version. It's another good example of, oh, you know, it it, it, it was kind of tilting towards Canada then, where it's just like, okay, so so they trusted Canadian viewers more than American viewers. I think it's just YTV, didn't, show. YTV didn't care as much. They, 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 they're not concerned about things like pacing, like Fox Kids is, where basically anything yeah. that doesn't have characters constantly talking or in motion has to be just cut. Yep. Blaring techno music, always. <laughs> so go, going back to this idea of... of Canada. So, I mean, I don't think that we're the country is necessarily being underserved in the the modern sense compared to a lot of other countries around the world. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess the question to kind of ponder is: is the demand in this country, in particular, higher than in other countries, like say the UK? It, it, they are underserved, but the demand isn't necessarily as high proportion wise as it is in Canada. I mean, are we? Are Canadians whiny and entitled? Do they have a right to do all this complaining compared to 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 other countries like the UK? I don't know. What do you think, Mike? <laughs> I, I I think so because it's uh, I I think we're at a point where there is such a rush to get uh, Japanese animation localized into English for markets around the world. Every English speaking market should be demanding a piece of that. But you know, fans everywhere in the English speaking world, you know, you no, know, I think you guys should feel entitled to that if it's. If it's being, you know, set up set up for one set of viewers, and then you know you're, you're the neighboring country or you're part of the Commonwealth and you're not getting it too, yeah, that, that's kind of dumb. That that seems short sighted to me. And I've I've been saying that for, for a few years to to friends at the publishers. It's just like you know you shouldn't your, your Canadian strategy shouldn't just be oh well yeah and we'll get it to Canada at some point you know this, you know, <laughs> make, make, you, know, you, know get, yeah. get, get, you know get that in the equation and, uh, and and get that out to fans as fast as you possibly can because it, it it can only be a good thing. I mean, a good example is Funimation versus Crunchyroll's streaming strategy. Crunchyroll has a, just a worldwide focus as sort of their central strategy. Whereas with Funimation, they're despite the fact that they pick up worldwide rights for titles, they they focus pretty much exclusively on the U.S. and kind of deal with they they do make it available in Canada, but they treat it as kind of a side thing. That's a question of infrastructure. Uh, you know, Crunchyroll actually have employees around the world for different markets. Fun Funimation, you know, they still have all their eggs in uh, one basket, and that basket, that basket is in Flower Mound, Texas. Now, are YTV based in Toronto? YTV is based in Toronto, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's incredibly weird that they have no presence at Anime North, because Cartoon Network, they don't go out for a lot of this. You know, they're at San Diego Comic-Con, but they do Anime Week in Atlanta, because that's their hometown convention. Yeah, I know. There there are Toonami panels and 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 things, and I think... Other broadcasters in the states have had had panels at cons as well, but there's just no presence for that kind of thing with conventions in in Canada. I know some cons are trying have tried to get YTV Intelligence to come, but they don't. They just they just don't send the representations. Even even cons like Fan Expo Canada in Toronto, slowly over time, stations like Space, which is our sci-fi channel, have have right. have have kind of. Uh, come out and, and started having a presence but it's still nothing compared to what you see in the states people just they, the broadcasters don't know how to capitalize on this kind of thing which i guess yeah. I, I guess is that they just don't have any incentive to you can you could you could argue just in the way that you know with canadian content regulations that the 
sort of extreme protectionism that we have in Canada has stifled broadcasters into just not having to do any kind of outreach whatsoever and just not having to you know reach out for those niche markets or or anything like that whereas in the states they have to they have to try and capitalize on those things it is sometimes that results in really weird decisions or really weird approaches to capturing niche niche audiences like just before we started recording this episode chiller uh and who who recently launched their anime wednesdays block after two weeks announced that the block had come to an end uh, and they they were airing. Is this a zombie? And I can't even remember what else they picked up because it was so unnotable. It was ostensibly a horror block, but it was some really weak choices. Yeah, and yeah. They they had like literally like viewers in the hundreds on that first week. And <laughs> that, that's one of those just like on the, one, on the one hand, yeah, that was never going to be a big success. On the other hand, it's like wow, you kill it after two weeks, huh? Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for sticking with it and believing, guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, on one hand, I mean, is this a zombie is a lot of things, but a draw isn't exactly one of them. Yeah. But it's really interesting how that played out, because I don't think that would happen in Canada for a number of reasons. One is that, like, no Canadian network is going to axe anything after two weeks. Canadian networks are usually in a better position to sort of let their investments play out. Um, even on YTV's right. Bionics block, I think that the only show they picked up that they didn't run through all the way, or at least for everything they licensed, was case closed. They ran 20 of 26 episodes they picked up. But of course, you could argue that that, that whole franchise that whole franchise is just kind of culturally incompatible well, in the West, you could say. Yeah, Funimation tried everything they could to make that work. At, at Discotech, we've got the two Detective Conan, uh, you know, Lupin the Third versus Detective Conan movies. So of course, we've got the poor, sad Detective Conan people coming up to us now asking for more Detective Conan. And I sympathize. I really do. I, you know, I, I have all the movies they released in my collection. I'm not, I'm not big into the TV series, but I love those movies. Those are great little standalone adventures. But, you know, it's just, you know, you know there's, there's an audience there, but it's so small and so rare and so hard to pin down. It just, you know, no one's been able to crack that code. And, and you know, we may not be able to crack it. Well, Crunch, Crunchyroll has found a way to to make it so the fans of the franchise don't have to go scrubbing around for fan subs on BitTorrent, they, you know. But there's there's this there's this huge gulf of episodes, literally a couple of hundred episodes that that never were streamed and were never released on home video. Thing is, like the super fans, which you know, num- basically number in a few hundred, as near as I can tell, they want all that stuff. Yeah, well, the super fans are the only ones who will buy Case Closed and D- Detective Conan. I mean, if you really want to make a franchise like that work in the West, you have to sell it to children, and you cannot sell that franchise to children. I think for that show to really break it through in the West, uh, you would need like a Hunter Hunter style relaunch, like in you know, a re- reboot, reboot the entire thing, and then then that might take. But as it's running now, and yeah, I mean, it's been going for 20 years, so you know, yeah. just, just to climb on board is a challenge. You know, you have to get yourself up to speed. You still have to get past the fact that those designs are just 90s as fuck. That is uh, like yeah. the 90s as show you could <laughs> that, that that you can point to. I mean, I mean, look at, I mean, just look at those Lupin and Case Closed crossover movies. It's just the the styles oh, yeah. don't even jive there at all. 70s versus 90s. Yeah, and even Lupin is more can be a little more versatile when it comes to you know. Yeah. the character designs to work in a different de- decade kind of aesthetic. I mean, going back to, to having niche blocks on television, I mean, I mean, apart from the the difference in economies when it comes to the investment in programming, I, I honestly think that in Canada, there is just such a thirst for anything that's kind of different or foreign um, that, as, that generally if a station will air anime, it will, it will be a draw 
uh, unless people just completely fail to find that station. Uh, right. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, you look at the the blogs that had it. Razor had, which was owned by Chum, had anime running on it as long as Chum was around. The their anime block died with Chum. G Four Tech yeah. TV was running anime until Genion died, and then with when Genion died, yeah. that deal died. That was one thing I'll give Genion a lot of credit for when that company was operating in the U.S. They worked their asses off to get their stuff to as many different outlets as possible, uh, including stuff, including stuff like the tech TV deal. Um, you know, they they were always trying to like they were one of the first companies to really aggressively push uh, towards streaming services, like before Hulu was announced, before uh, Netflix streaming became a big thing. Like there there was a uh, there was a streaming service that was uh, run through one of the BitTorrent clients, Views. Like they you know they'd be putting stuff on that. They were uh, they, they were a company that was kind of willing to experiment with uh, with just getting stuff in front of people's eyes. It's a, it's a shame that doesn't seem to be quite as common. Super Channel, I don't know if you're familiar with Super Channel, was running anime for a long time as well, but that block also kind of died along with uh, Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi's anime block in the states as well. Simply because they and, they were getting most of their content from the same place, and I guess they just didn't care to 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 look elsewhere. Not that anybody watches Super Channel; it's ridiculously expensive. They were running; they did run Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, but the kind of the irony with that was that you can probably you could actually you can blind buy all of FMA Brotherhood on Blu-ray for cheaper than it would be to actually watch that show on their on their on their channel. That's rough. I mean, but and the other thing is, Jesse, all these stations you're you're reeling off, like uh, like Tech TV and uh, and Super Channel and uh, and YTV, these are all national cable channels, right? Yeah, they are, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, see in the '90s, uh, if you were watching anime on TV in the states, uh, you you had these all these weird little feuding, uh, you know, syndicated UHF channels, you know, all these little broadcast channels, and it would vary from city to city when when something was on. Like you could be in you could be in Pittsburgh, and you're like, okay, I want to watch Sailor Moon. It's at six thirty in the morning. Then you go to Boston and you're like, okay, I want to watch Sailor Moon. It's at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's it's kind of ironic because local TV, I think, is is still pretty strong in the states, and I, and I would argue that in some ways it may outlast cable and satellite broadcasting, which is just sort of gutting itself. Uh, but yep. ge- like just in terms of geography and and the way technology is set up, they they kind of we kind of had to bypass that, and and that way regulatory issues geographic issues these things all just sort of aligned to give anime this inflated exposure that it didn't get in 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 the states yeah i I think that's a big part of why canada was so quick to adopt sailor moon because every every kid who wanted to watch it coast to coast would all be watching it at at roughly the same time on the same channel that's huge that's a big i mean even now japan doesn't have that Japan is still like this loose network of cable channels, pay channels, uh, you know, local TV networks. Like if you're not in Tokyo or Osaka, there's a good chance that you can't watch about yeah. half of the anime that's airing on TV. There are some affiliate programs with those stations, but they're not always nationwide. They don't always reach absolutely everyone. Back in the 80s, you guys got your own dub of the uh, 1980 Color Astro Boy TV series. That's very true. Yeah. It, it, it aired on Global. Yeah. I was able to find a couple of commercials for it. And that's something I highlighted in my own panel that I did at a few cons, the uh, Adventures in Anime on Canadian TV. I actually showed that as part of the Dubs the Time Forgot program I ran at Anime North. That uh, Just showing a couple of clips from that got a big yell from the audience. A lot of people remember that one. Oh, really? Because uh, yeah. I've shown it a few times and nobody seemed to actually remember it. I've, I've even had one accusation that those dub voices were exactly the same as the ones in the States. But that no, is not no. true. 
Not at all. Yeah, the, yeah, the one that the one that aired in the U.S. and Australia had a completely different theme song. It had like it had the typical approach of like uh, you know a, a woman playing the the voice of Astro, whereas the Canadian had actually had a kid, like a ten year old boy, playing Astro, which that yeah. was, that was a, you could tell it was a child actor, which was you know, and he was not credited for his role. The, yeah. the guy who plays him, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he to this day is he has, he has been seen popping up on some forums raising awareness of the fact that he was the voice of Astro Boy in this 1980s dub. And that particular dub was pretty badly edited, too. My understanding is that the U.S. dub was mostly uncut, but the Canadian one made a lot of really questionable edits to it. Yeah, yeah. Those those episodes are incredibly hard to find. I've only got two, and I wanted to edit together a few clips from one of them, you know, using the, uh, you know, using the DVD video so it would look a little better. And yeah, I discovered, I definitely discovered a lot of, uh, a lot of weird little edits here and there for no reason either. Yep, totally arbitrary. Just a, for commercial time, I guess. But. Commercial time, and also Canadian networks don't really have standards and practices the, the way that uh, that the U.S. does. So yeah. any changes they make are usually very, very arbitrary compared to to Americans. I find stuff like that very interesting. And uh, my my friend Dave Merrill, who uh, lives in Toronto, uh, he he uh, was the he's one of the founders of Anime Week in Atlanta. He uh, he moved to Toronto with his uh, with his wife, who is from Canada. And uh, he's been helping run Anime North for a while. He runs a great blog called Let's Anime. He uh, he tells me that uh, the show Fables of the Green Forest is still on Canadian TV somewhere. I don't know if it's still on, but it it aired on TVO, which is the yeah. uh, the uh, provincial public broadcaster in in Ontario. Uh, and I think that it's never on TV in the states. Yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, you are aware that CBC, or rather, rather the French version of CBC, Radio Canada, they aired most of the World Masterpiece Theater titles, but in French only. I know that. Well, that, that's one of the great things that things that infuriates me about uh, stuff like the World Masterpiece Theater. Like, you know, one of the one of the one of their crown jewels is Anne of Green Gables, which is of course a you know Canadian story. Yeah. But you, you can't get it in English. We. They, they, as near as I can tell, they never produced an English dub for that for any territory. Yeah, and that very true. And it's especially baffling because apparently Radio Canada put money into these dubs, yet the English CBC never got any kind of English version of them either. Yeah. Which, which is a big missed opportunity because that stuff's all just sort of in limbo now when it comes to a lot of, uh, a lot of current rights. I don't know if they're yeah. still in circulation in France or, or anything like that. But, I mean, when you have the situation with the World Masterpiece Theater, the alternate Astro Boy dub, you see that even when you go, pa- uh, even when you go further back than titles like Sailor Moon, our entire grounding of, of anime exposure in this country is just so wildly different. Just be, just, yeah. I, th- I think just because of the way Canada, Canadian television approaches non-North American content, because we're, we're always kind of stuck in this binary, uh, at least with the way networks regulate, is that they have to run Canadian content, they want to run American content, and then everything else from around the world just kind of falls through the cracks in ways that can't be predicted very well. And right. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little, little nuances that develop in there that, that we forget about and I think need to get a lot more attention entirely separate aspect to, to, to the culture of Canadian anime fandom because of that. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. When you have companies that do try and mine anime, they don't, even even in Canada, they don't necessarily take the Canadian context into consideration. Case in point right now, Chorus and Nelvana are developing that Battle of the Planets remake, despite the fact that that show, I don't think has even aired on Canadian TV since the 70s. 
Yeah, I know. You keep, you keep trying to scare me with that one piece of key art, and I just keep thinking, <laughs> that one piece of key art is all we're ever going to see, man. I don't believe it. I don't believe there's going to be a cartoon, and I won't believe it until I see a pilot episode or a commercial or something with footage. It, it, they're saying 2060, and it seems to be part of a bigger strategy because Nilvana's or Chorus is launching that and the new live-action CG hybrid reboot, and another show called Mysticons, which is actually a kind of a female-focused action show, which might have a bit of promise to it. Okay. At least two of those three are going to launch. Uh, the Gatchaman's kind of the most up in the air at this point, I think. Yeah. If nothing else, I, I keep seeing it as a possibility that one of the Chorus Network's YTV or Teletoon might air Gatchaman crowds, because, you know, they could have the, the kitty battle of the planet and say, don't worry, nerds, we got that thing you like, too, right here on... Yeah. The late night block, but yeah, I was going to say. And since you keep bringing up uh, chorus, uh, I, chorus is basically what they used to be in Nelvana, right? Is, is what chorus, you're telling me. Chorus owns Nelvana, and they own okay. YTV, and and recently they acquired Teletoon as well. Okay, that that reminded me. So how how well did uh, Card Captors do in Canada? Were there toys on the shelves? Was it was it kind of a big deal? Or uh, merchandising wise, I couldn't tell you. We did get merchandise for sure when the show aired the first time. I know that when Nelvana produced the dub of Card Captors, it was produced as more or less a straight dub of the original, not not unedited, of course, but it yep. was it was more faithful. Most of the tempering happened after the production was finished and it was made for kids WB. When Teletoon aired the dub of Card Captors, uh, it was still the same localized version, but they aired the episodes in the correct order. So right. there was that and it it ran for for quite a few years, m- probably mostly oh, yeah. Probably mostly because it was Canadian content, so they could they they could ride it out. It seemed to have just enough momentum in in the North American market in general that they they actually broadcast the whole series, which I was not really expecting. I figured that would be you know twenty six episodes and and bye bye, never see it again. I just remember there was a big furor when you know the final episode uh, seventy two or seventy three aired, and it was just like my God, they did it, they finished, they even dubbed the first movie. Did Nel- I don't know if Nelvana dubbed the first movie. I think that was a completely separate project from from Jenny on after the fact. The second movie. So the first movie, uh, my, I, I never, again, I never watched that dub because I prefer the Japanese version. But it was my impression that the first movie was using the cast and, and the names from the uh, Card Captors version. You know what? I, I don't know the answer to that. I've got the Blu-ray of, I've got the Blu-ray of it around here somewhere because uh, we released it. But you know, <laughs> if you want to watch it in uh, sparkling high definition, uh, Discotech has released the fir- first Card Captor soccer movie on Blu-ray with uh, with both language versions. I think we got the second one in the pipeline for 2016, too. Yeah, and NIS put out the series, of course, and you can watch it with the uh, Southeast Asian dub as yeah. a special extra on that, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't have that big of a problem with that dub. Uh, the dubs from that region of the world are all over the map, but I find that, especially in recent years, they've been getting better. Like, I, uh, I, I, keep, I keep urging uh, right stuff. Like, they got Yakitate Japan mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. They've actually released most of it now. But when they got it, I was just like, you guys should include the dubbed version. And, and their CEO was just like, oh, those dubs are never good. But I've seen a couple of episodes of that dub. It's fine. It's like they actually seem to understand that it's a comedy. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of jokes. They have more than three voice actors. Uh, it's it's dubbed in Hong Kong, but it doesn't, you know, they, they choose actors that can mask uh, the whole Hong Kong British accent. They're still pumping a lot of that stuff out mostly for Animax in Southeast Asia. And yeah, that's still, Animax is still in most continents. Is I know I know it was running in South South America, Africa, Southeast Asia for. They were looking at launching in North America, but that never really happened. Like they launched a branded portal on Crackle, uh, Sony. Yeah, I remember service. that. Yeah, that's about as far as they got. I mean, it, they, their operation has been a tremendous boon to getting all sorts of anime dubbed in English because 
about four or five years ago, uh, you know, Animax Southeast Asia, you know, the big, the biggest arm of the company outside of Japan, mandated that everything they shows they show has to be dubbed in English now, because it used to be they they had a lot of content subtitled. Yeah, just leave it at that. And that's been helpful because uh, a lot of times, like some of the Sentai Filmworks stuff, like uh, Go, their dub of Gogo Thirteen, uh, their dubs of the Clanad series. Those were produced partly because Animax wanted dubbed versions of those, and especially a lot of these newer shows that come out too. If they, if they're not obvious hits, if it, if they, if you know they're kind of on the bubble of uh, is this going to be popular or not, if they end up getting dubbed, chances are it's because Animax or uh, Manga UK or some foreign interest said, "Hey, we'll we'll help pay for that, so we can have we can have that in our territory too." Animax is absolutely the driving force for yeah. for anime in so many countries right now. I, I can see why those deals kind of fell apart in the United States, but it's too bad they couldn't, you know, do the, the do the regulatory walk and kind of work their way into Canada. Uh, yeah. And I guess that when, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess it just, again, goes back to that sort of, uh, that association that the Japanese companies have connecting Canada and the U.S. If the, if the U.S. doesn't yeah. seem like a worthwhile market, then, you know, why bother with Canada? Yeah, that's that's totally unfair. Yeah, that, that, ha- that actually happened with Gundam, because... Uh, Gundam yeah. Seed was a well regarded as a huge failure on American TV, whereas in Canada it was a massive success. It just kind of hit at the right time, was marketed well, uh, wasn't as badly edited. You know, when Bandai Entertainment was still doing panels back in the mid the mid aughts, I I asked them, you know, does Japan even care about the fact that you know this show is basically performing the way they want it to only in Canada? And he just said, no, they don't care, <laughs> which was brutal. Kind of, pretty brutal, yeah. There's definitely this thirst for broadcasting that I honestly think that if, you know, unlike in the States where we we see something like Chiller, Chiller's Block fall apart, I think that pretty much if any sort of specialty broadcaster tried to launch a block here, they would they would tap into that thirst in a way that kind of matches yeah. how well Inuyasha and Sailor Moon and those titles all did in the past. Mm-hmm. And then we're even, even theatrically, we're, we're suffering from this weirdness. Uh, well, I know you can probably relate. Viz announced their screening of the latest Naruto movie. It's not getting any screenings in well. It's not getting any screenings in Boston, uh, but it's not getting any screenings at all in Canada as well, uh, which was also the case with the previous Naruto movie. Yeah, yeah, that that that's kind of weird that it doesn't get any in Canada at all because what's been happening with uh, their screenings in Boston is that Boston is just treated as kind of an afterthought, despite being a top ten market in the yeah. U.S. It's like it'll you know they'll they'll get their bookings done elsewhere and then maybe they'll throw us one you know two months after the initial premiere. Which is just like okay, great, thanks a lot, guys. And it bugs me because I'm friends with a with a couple of movie theater bookers here in town, and it's just like, well, you know, if you need if you need help getting this movie booked in Boston, I, I know who you can talk to, and there's never been any interest. You, you know what? What's really frustrating is that K the movie when that came out, I think it got a wider release than these Naruto movies are getting. That actually got got a couple of screenings in Canada, right? It did. It actually, yeah. oftentimes these eleven art screenings got more coverage in Canada than they do in the States. Here in Vancouver alone, we have like five or six theaters that would show the most popular ones. Uh, I mean, Ava 2.0, I think almost all of them sold out when that one came out. K, I suspect, probably didn't do as well. So, like, are we being denied the Naruto movies now because K didn't do well? I don't think that's the case. I think the, I think those Naruto movies aren't using 11 arts. I think that's they what, are. I think that's the... No, they are. Oh, they are. <laughs> so, it's, it's a really baffling situation, for sure. Uh, I, yeah. I, I still think that, you know, for some of these movies, you could be more ambitious. I mean, just look at the Dragon Ball movies. Like, Funimation could totally do a wide release for yeah. Resurrection. I mean, not, 
you know, not not two thousand screens, but they could do like eight hundred screens and probably make like fifty or sixty million dollars oh, off of that. Yeah, yeah, that would they, they they would be able to pull that off. I think I, I think some theaters just kept going even after. Uh... Yeah, yeah. For for Battle of Gods was hilarious to watch unfold because at least in the Boston area markets, they had about a dozen screenings, all you know, one time screenings. They kept selling out and they kept adding more and more. I think eventually they they screened that over a full week or a week and a half. At different places all across the city, and you know, I went to one very late on, you know, just just on the spur of the moment, and even that theater was almost completely full. Yeah. So yeah, that, the demand for something like that is there. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what's holding them back. Maybe it's Toei. Who knows? Uh, maybe I, I I've just gotten the impression that Funimation doesn't really have the resources to do proper theatrical releases, which makes me kind of concerned that those new live those live action Attack on Titan movies might not get the exposure they probably should get. Those are another thing that, especially now that the buzz on those uh, has come out and it's good. Those are apparently really uh, good movies. Yeah, I am, I am really looking forward to those. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, when you have a big time, uh, you know, live action adaptation of a Japanese anime, usually what happens is it's a solid hit and everyone's excited. That happened with Space Battleship Yamato, which you know, Funimation actually eventually released on Blu-ray. That did very well for them. Yeah. But like, there have been other cases, like the live action Gotcha Man movie. Where it's just like, you know, everyone's excited, there's trailers, there's commercials, there's hype right up until release day, and then suddenly everyone in the Japanese press stops talking about it. <laughs> That's hey, how you know it's a piece of crap. At least we got Gatchaman Man crowds out of that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was part of the strategy, and that, that paid off at least. Yeah. Okay, I think that just about does it for this episode. Mike, did you have anything you wanted to say before we uh, sign off? Um, Only to just say that I, I was glad to be on this show. I think... Uh, I think North American anime fandom is this big, crazy, rich tapestry, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to, to share it with the folks up in Canada. It's great stuff. Well, that was Zon in Canada. Big thanks to Mike Toole for gracing us with his presence today. Theme song is by Ultra Klystron. You can check out his stuff at ultraklystron.com. As always, you can reach me on Twitter, at Zonan Canada, or through the contact form at zonan.ca. If you know anyone who might like the show, please recommend it. It really does a lot of good. See you again!